This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. It's 19.37 on Power Business. Move on now into our Africa segment. But today, uh, we keep things here at home in South Africa. We have a huge election coming up this year. Many saying that it's the equivalent of 1994. And of course, depending on who you are, uh, that may mean uh, something or not to you. But as you know, we gear up for this upcoming election. Uh, the nation's business landscape stands at the cusp of a potential transformation. And we've asked Professor Chris Malikali to come and help us unpack that he's professor of economics at the University of Witzfatisrand and director of the macro financial analysis a group of prof good evening to you thank you for your time good evening and good evening to the listeners well prof many saying this is uh, as important as 1994 i'm keen to get your thoughts on that one first hello yes prof can you hear me yeah i can hear you yes yes i think you hear my question what was the question? That well, my question was, many people are saying that this election in 2024 is as important as what happened in 1994. I'm wondering, uh, you know, if you uh, share in uh, that uh, perspective. Yes, I share that uh, perspective, uh, particularly because it's almost 30 years uh, since 1994. And the, uh, the people who were born in 1994, uh, by this time, they have children. And uh, the hopes that the older people who voted in 1994 had 30 uh, years down the line um, are going to be tested uh, with, with these elections. And uh, uh, in a way as well, there's a significant shift in the politics. I mean, recently we've seen the formation of uh, uh, new parties, uh, particularly the MK party, uh, Rise in Zanzi, and so forth. So the, the, there's a potential shift in the, in the politics, in the party political arena that we are likely to experience in the upcoming election. I must ask you, uh, you know, Prof, as then we stand at the cusp of this political transformation, from an economic perspective, is, uh, you know, the transformative potential as much as what we're seeing in the political? Well, uh, in terms of the transformative potential, um, uh, the, the economy that we are uh, uh, living under uh, to be honest and frank, it has dismally failed uh, to resolve the structural uh, challenges that we inherited from the apartheid system 30 years ago. And in a way, it has exacerbated uh, some of the problems that we experienced and created new problems in the process. But overall, overall when you look at the, 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 the evolution of the South African economy and its political economy, we come to one conclusion that black people... 30 years down the line, there's not a single value chain that they control in their own country. Their languages are not in the mainstream of the education system, and they're not in the mainstream of communication. You know? so, so you ask yourself that uh, 30 years down the line, as an African or black person, as a working class, as a, as a professional, uh, what have you gained and what future holds uh, for your children, you know. A, these are big questions that should engulf us as we approach these elections and make electoral decisions. 
Uh, you know, Prof, you mentioned the very interesting thing of a value change and just the lack of uh, black leadership and representation in a value change. I'm wondering, what is the cause of that? You know, is it, uh, have we battled to create industrialists and businesses? Is uh, the economy hostile towards, uh, you know, uh, black people? I, 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 I refuse to believe that it's a lack of effort. It's a lack of educated people, uh, you know, uh, even a lack of ambition. But obviously things have not quite come together in the last 30 years that allow a black people to play the specific role in the economy? Yeah, I think the, the cru- crucial thing, if you look at the history of countries that have managed to transform themselves and have their economies driven and controlled by uh, indigenous people, one, one key factor that played a role is the role of the state. Mm. You know? So in South Africa, instead, what we had was an ideology which privileged the role of the private sector, uh, market forces, and advocated for the uh, for the state to recede from playing a, a direct role in the ownership, control, and even the direction of investments in the economy. I mean, if you look at all these fast-growing economies in Southeast Asia, right, uh, you will find that a key ingredient among them is that they've got um, state banks, they've got developmental central banks, and they've got a, a huge regulatory environment which directs investments towards targeted sectors. In South Africa, over the past 30 years, there's not been an aggressive role of the state to target the development of black, particularly African entrepreneurs. And without that, without the use of that state power, it becomes impossible to break the power of white monopoly capital that has monopolized the economy from the dawn of this, uh, of this economy. As we head into this election, I guess, uh, Prof, there's also then the, the aspect of uh, re- dreaming a new way for us. And I'm wondering, you know, as we see polls pointing to, uh, you know, the ruling party coming in at under 50%, you know, and of course these are polls. We don't know what happens with the day. People can vote very differently to what they say uh, we've learned in the past. Uh, but if that be the case, does there stand potential for transformation in a coalition for us to build um, it different with new faces and maybe fresh uh, perspectives uh, there in coalition leading the nation forward? I think a transformative coalition will okay if uh, those that are to the left um, of, the, of the ruling party that articulate more leftist positions gain substantial in terms of votes and present a coherent um, program uh, to take the country forward and are able to negotiate among themselves a united front. Secondly, uh, I think there's going to be a transformative uh, process if, uh, even if the ruling party falls below 50%, but in, chooses to align with left-leaning parties instead of the right wing parties like the DA, you know. But if there's that coalition between the DA and the ANC, if it happens, then it spells doom for the uh, structural transformation of the South African economy in favor of black people in general. I was 
just ask you uh, also, uh, you know, Prof, your general sense on uh, the current presidency as it stands when uh, we brought on a President Ramaphosa. Many of us were excited. He was a business person. Uh, he was uh, friendly with the private sector. It was supposed to encourage investment. And maybe if we just uh, take a step back uh, now, uh, you know, heading into this election, have we managed to, and the word that comes to mind is actually a Zulu word, Ugzuza. Have we, have we managed to benefit, you know, from uh, that perspective and that leaning? Well, <laughs> I think uh, the, the presidency of uh, 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 Mr. Ramaphosa has been a catastrophic failure, you know, uh, because across all the segments of South African society, from the rural population to the urban working class, to professionals, to small businesses, to even some established big businesses, they've suffered immensely. You know, uh, here we're talking about uh, a failure, you know, to provide electricity. We're talking about increasing risk of the country from meeting its own petroleum needs. You know, there was an instance where uh, O.R. Tambo ran out of fuel, ran the risk of running out of fuel. You know, there was a shortage of fuel at some point in South Africa. We've got declining refining capacity. We've got a, 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 a disintegration of the rail infrastructure, the peeling away of roads. You know, we can go, go on and on and on. It's a disaster. And so across the board, I find it hard to find um, a representative of any of these classes that have mentioned to say they've gained a lot uh, better than the administrations before with this administration. When we uh, often speak to analysts about South Africa going into an election uh, this year, Prof, they tell us about policy certainty and versus policy uncertainty. And of course, we've had a conversation here about how we need a, a fundamental shift in a policy. So when we speak about this a policy certainty and uncertainty, what does that even look like for the South Africa that we're all imagining that is supposed to be, uh, you know, one of equal opportunity, at least, uh, you know, of leveling the playing field so that you and me or anybody else can be able to participate meaningfully in, in that economy. What does a, a certainty look like for that? Well, policy certainty, when, when people talk about policy certainty in economic terms, they're basically saying that uh, policymakers, when they make policy announcements, they need to act on those announcements. They need to build credibility that they can live up and act on the policy announcements that they made. Now, in South Africa, we've got a serious problem, particularly with the ruling party, because it takes resolutions, you know, um, and then when it gets to government, it does not implement the resolutions. It implements something different. I'll give you an example, just a practical example. The ruling party in the previous conference took a resolution that ESCOM should be brought under the Department of Minerals and Energy. That's a, that was a resolution. But instead, what has happened is that uh, there was a creation of a Ministry of Electricity, which was not in the policy resolutions of the ruling party, but it's, a, it's something that emerges from government. So, so, so there's a problem of, I think, um, honesty and consistency, which pr- brings about uncertainty. You know, you, there's nothing you can trust now. When a, the ruling party takes a resolution, you, you are not sure whether they're going to implement it or not, you know. 
A few years ago, uh, Prof, there was a huge issue of rating agencies in South Africa. I remember every time the rating agencies would say something, you know, the news, we would all come out and I was a producer at the time, would come out and get analysts to come and speak to us about the rating agencies. That seems to have died down with time. We don't often uh, think of the rating agencies as the boogeymen luring in the background anymore, coming to uh, put our economy on junk. But I'm wondering, uh, you know, as we head into this 2024 uh election and as we hope for some form of transformation is this something that may uh, return and then what becomes south africa's relationship with these rating agencies yeah i I think ratings agencies lost credibility uh, during the global financial crisis Uh, we should recall that um, some of the banks that went bust within 24 hours were given were still retained a ratings from the ratings agencies so the, the manner in which ratings agencies go about doing their business is problematic. It is fraught with a conflict of interest. It is fraught with, um, with, with, with inconsistencies. You know, I'll give you an example. When it comes to South Africa, uh, you know, given the scale of damage that has happened uh, uh, under this administration in terms of the collapse of ESCOM, rail system, and so forth, you would expect that the ratings agencies will further downgrade South Africa deep into the red. But instead, the ratings agencies have become timid, you know, which means that the ratings agencies do have political eyes uh, because they pursue interests, certain interests, you know. So they would not want to downgrade or downrate um, an administration which they think is advancing their interests because that may give... Um, what a political uh, leverage to those that are opposed to the administration. Well, I'm going to open the lines now, uh, and we've got quite a few callers. I'd like us to all be quick uh, so we can uh, all get our, our commentary in, but also get a prof's uh, rebuttal. That is, if we good evening to you. Thank you uh, for your time. It's to you, how are you and the prof there? We are good, prof. Please go ahead. You know, you know, you know, all these parties, until they speak on how we should change our economy, this new liberal of economy, and they emphasize the importance of the state, the capable state, in jump-starting our economy. It will just be deja vu. This election will just be an event. They won't change the situation that is bedeviling us. Good evening to you. Good evening to you, Ndate. Thank you so much. Tepa from Pretoria, good evening. Uh, please do go ahead. Yeah, ma'am. Look, sometimes your, 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 your people that you invite, your, your guests, I in my view, lazy to think. They just want to come and blame everybody else. The fact of the matter is, government of ANC, and I'm not an ANC, except government of ANC has given to black business ridiculous amounts of money since 94, and that's a fact. What, what do those people do with the money they get from, from tender? It's something we need to uh, examine. And instead of blaming white people for us, when we have got investments in the form of tenders and carriers, we then find white people and call them a white monopoly, this white monopoly. The fact of the matter, you get white people who are new in business. For instance, people in the housing sector, where they're building houses, you know, the small houses Mm -hmm. in the township, the ones that are bonded by the banks, not the RDP. Those houses, we buy those houses from white people. Is there any reason why we, don't, we can't buy those houses from black companies? The, the company, white man's company, builds that house. 
we buy from the bank, but the bank pays the white man. And this person is operating the township, is making a killing uh, in business with black people. And we want to call that person a white monopoly capital. I disagree. Because this person is new in the business. It's not part of the shop rights of this world and all of these other big companies. Uh, but uh, we, we find it easy a way out. The fact is, we need to start examining uh, what do we do as black people with money we get from government. A lot of us, we buy 450 Maseratis, uh, whatever, and we do mm-hmm. convoy to Devon July. Okay. And nobody wants to talk about that. Got you, Tepo. Thank you so much for that one. Vusi from Winterfeld. Uh, good evening. Please go ahead. Hi, Vusi. Yes. Black automotive entrepreneurs remain largely excluded from the entire value chain inclusion of the automotive industry, despite the DTIC having this master plan. The South African Automotive Master Plan hasn't moved a dial or a needle sufficiently uh, to to be able to include those who are uh, to deal with the historical injustice of the South African automotive industry, you know, just to become more just and inclusive and professor for benefit for all the people. So now I'm saying like you are guests there, I'm suggesting on board we must have a program that, that will deal with this mass different, especially the automotive matter, which was the first one, to deal with them so that we, we understand where are we going with this master bill because nothing is there to make sure that it integrates those who are operating. You as the anchors, most of the time when this captain's office does come there, you treat them with kids' love. So I'm suggesting to be pragmatic this year, let us have talks, let us not shy away from this issue and deal with it. So, um, Please, can you organize that? Let us talk and then be able to see that uh, there is monitoring and evaluation of this master plan. Got you. I will definitely take that into account. Our producer is listening and we'll uh, certainly be in touch with the DTIC on that. Uh, Prof. Malikane, we have quite a bit there. Uh, Dr. Sufuri spoke about a capable state. Uh, you know, Tepo spoke about uh, black people mismanaging uh, the money that they've received from the state through various opportunities. And of course, uh, and now Vusi from Winterfeld are raising the issue of policy um, master plans and whether are they working? Are they really a transformative tool? Keen to get your thoughts on those. Yeah, so let, let me start with the master plans. You know, there's a problem, you know, because you've got these master plans, but you have a, an economy that cannot provide electricity for any of the industries that these master plans are talking about. Uh, 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 we're talking now about the automotive sector, but we just shut down our historical premier steel producer, which is ESCO, which now called Asilomital. So South Africa basically has lost capacity to produce steel. We rely on steel imports. Now, to industrialize the country, you can't do it without steel, production of steel, which feeds into the automotive sector, you know. So there are many pillars that need to be done by a developmental state, you know, in order for entrepreneurs to emerge. So, so a lot of basics are going wrong. Uh, 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 the master plans are going to sit there and gather dust as long as these basic things, provision of electricity, water, and basic inputs into the value chains are not attended to urgently by a developmental state. And then uh, regarding the issue of black people wasting money and so forth, I think what the caller is missing is a structural analysis. You cannot make a generalized 
conclusions uh, on the basis of observing a few individuals spending money the way they are spending. You know, um, what you need to ask yourself is structurally, what is it that has prevented uh, black people, particularly African people, from participating effectively in South African value chain to ignore the role of apartheid and the continuation of the power relations that we inherited from apartheid and the failure of the democratic government to deal with those power relations. Uh, I think it's being disingenuous and uh, it's, it's, being to, it's begin, beginning to blame the victims of colonialism for the failures uh, that, that they find themselves in. I think uh, that is if we spoke about a capable state. And I think that's an important uh, part, specifically if we think about a coalition government in 2024. What is it? Where do we even begin uh, with a capable state? Uh, perhaps maybe the question is also when we say that the state is currently incapable, uh, you know, what are we making reference to? Is it the executive? Uh, you know, is it uh, the people who work at various departments? And then how do we fix this? Because it does speak to a labor force, I think. Yes. When we talk about the capable state, we're talking about a state that is uh, capable in various aspects. We're talking about politically capable state, which means that the executive of that state needs to enjoy the broad support of the social forces in society. And that state must at the same time be rooted in the industrial, particularly the industrial uh, class of, of entrepreneurs. You know, because the industrial class of entrepreneurs is the one that actually is the engine of growth. Uh, This has been found in the Southeast Asia. You know, an index of development is manufacturing or industrial development. Without without support and the protection of that industrial base, then you don't have a a developmental state or or even you won't have a capable state able to meet the needs of the people. And... Technical capability also means, or technical capacity also means that the bureaucracy, you know, the, 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 the coordination of policy actions in the state should be, uh, should be very high, you know. An example uh, that scholars usually quote is, uh, is Japan. Japan had a very uh, 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 high level of bureaucracy, you know, highly skilled bureaucracy. That is highly, that was highly professional, you know. So another aspect that we need to do in South Africa is to professionalize, you know, the bureaucracy in the state and and to limit political interference, you know, that disrupts the 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 the, the ability of the professional bureaucrats from carrying out its its developmental tasks. Before I let you go, I must ask you, uh, what is the best case scenario for South Africa for this election and pass uh, this election to ensure that we have uh, something to work with? I think uh, people are also not afraid to get their hands dirty, to get involved in the economy, but we need uh, something to work with. I think the best thing that you can get out of this election is if the images, uh, there's a dominance of the left-leaning parties that advocate for a state-led developmental strategy. You know, once you can have the emergence and the dominance of that, uh, that left-leaning uh, group of political parties, then the possibilities for a, a structural transformation of the economy um, will be there. Thank you for your time this evening. I'm keen to keep talking, especially as we approach uh, that election. I think there's going to be lots more to unpack, especially as we see manifestos and policies all being promised and rolled out by the political parties. Thank you for your time this evening.
Thank you. Thank you, Prof. That was Prof. Chris Malikande, Professor of Economics at the University of Witzvatnesrand and Director of the Microfinancial Analysis Group there. Looks like we've got quite a bit of work ahead of us. Lots of analysis, I think, still to come this year. But I think all of us, we just want a better economy. I believe South Africans are not people who want handouts. We are not people who want grants. We just want a fair chance. We want to have a fair chance at being able to participate in our economy. We want to know that if we send our kids to school, they've got a fair chance at building good lives. Uh, you know, And I think that's what we're scared the economy cannot give us at this point. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.